I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. This is a January 6th weekend bulletin edition of the Countdown Podcast, and you already know that my default position when it comes to President Biden is one of deep respect, deep affection, and love. And having said that, even I was stunned by the virtuosity of his pitch-perfect speech about Trump and the threat to democracy he represents, which the president gave at Valley Forge on the eve of the third anniversary of Trump's insurrection, in which Biden hit every note ranging from whispered warning to raging righteousness, in which his emotional ebb and flow went from the astonishment of the moment to anger on behalf of every past president and every dead soldier and every loyal American ever, in which he roared from clear and unvarnished statement of the danger of Trump and the dictatorship with which he would kill America and the still clearer and more unvarnished delineation of the path by which to defeat it and Trump and the fascists for all time. It was unexpectedly breathtaking. It was honest-to-God JFK FDR-level oratory. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal. It's an idea declared in the Declaration created in a way that we viewed everybody as equal and be, should be treated equal throughout their lives. We've never fully lived up to that. We have a long way to go. But we've never walked away from the idea. We've never walked away from it before. And I promise you, I will not let Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans force us to walk away now. This speech was so extraordinary 
It transported me to Roosevelt's I Welcome Their Hatred from the 1936 campaign and to Kennedy's Ask Not inaugural address and, and forgive me for getting this syrupy on you, it shocks even me to do so, to something out of Jimmy Stewart in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. The speech was so extraordinary that I will devote the second block of this bulletin to replaying it in full. Because if you did not hear it, it is worth your time to do so. And even if you did hear it, it is worth your time to hear it again. Hell, I think it would be worth the president's time to give it again. But if you don't have time, I want you to hear these nine clips. And I'm bouncing all over the place out of order because all of it, as a whole, or just in standalone segments, was astonishing. It's true, the push and pull of American history is not a fairy tale. Every stride forward in America is met with ferocious backlash many times from those who fear progress and those who exploit that fear for their own personal gain. From those who traffic in lies, told for power and profit. For those who are driven by grievance and grift, consumed by conspiracy and victimhood. From those who seek to bury history and ban books. Everything can be in a political event. Talked about book banning for presidential and the presidential election. The choice and contest between those forces, those competing forces, between solidarity and division is perennial. But this time it's so different. You can't have a contest. You can't have a contest if you see politics as an all-out war instead of a peaceful way to resolve our differences. All-out war is what Trump wants. You know what I think of Trump. You know what I say about him every day. But all-out war is what Trump wants is simpler and truer than anything I have ever said about him. The real genius of this speech is something I alluded to at the start. For literally 50 years, Joe Biden has been told to stop wandering from tone to tone and from topic to topic to simplify both what he is talking about and how he is talking about it. And in so doing, he has often been talked out of his greatest asset as a speaker. Life is not one note. Being president is not one topic. Defending democracy is not one sentence. The interweaving of the deadly serious and the self-deprecatingly comical and the simmering personal rage made this speech the epic that it was, and never more so than when President Biden talked about Trump's threats against General Mark Milley. He's threatened the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff with the death penalty says he should be put to death because the chairman put his oath to the Constitution ahead of his personal loyalty to Trump. This is coming from a president who called, when he visited cemeteries, called dead soldiers suckers and losers. Remember that? Sometimes I'm really happy the Irish should be can't be seen. <laughs> it was right around the time I was at Bo's grave, Tommy. 
How dare he? Who in God's name do you think he is? As I have mentioned many times, okay, boasted many times, the president once took me to lunch to ask how to better calibrate anger and righteous indignation so he would seem more the latter and less the former. I do not think I had a damn thing to do with this, but he has mastered that. Rage, laughter, personal pain. And then, who in God's name does he think he is in whispered fury? Exactly. And if that calibration was not obvious enough to you in that clip, it will be in this next one. This circles back to the only flaw in the entire speech. That incoming heavy snow forced the speech to be rescheduled from Saturday afternoon, essentially at the exact minute of the three-year anniversary of Trump's insurrection, to Friday afternoon. Because the essence of Biden's speech was January 6, 2021. Trump's day. Trump's day that he attacked America. The first day he attacked America, the other attack on America by Donald Trump is in progress right now. Jill and I attended the funeral of police officers who died as a result of the events of that day. Because Donald, because of Donald Trump's lies, they died because these lies brought a mob to Washington. He promised it would be wild, and it was. He told the crowd to fight like hell. And all hell was unleashed. He promised he would write them, write them, everything they did. He would be side by side with them. Then, as usual, he left the dirty work to others. He retreated to the White House. As America was attacked from within, Donald Trump watched on TV in a private small dining room off, my oval, oval, off the Oval Office. The entire nation watched in horror. The whole world watched in disbelief, and Trump did nothing. Members of his staff, members of his family, Republican leaders who were under attack at that very moment, pled with him, act, call off the mob. Imagine had he gone out and said, stop. And still, Trump did nothing. It was among the worst derelictions of duty by a president in American history. This speech will be taught in schools, unless Trump regains power, in which case nothing will be taught in schools. Just as he did not try to massage or soften the edges of the threat we face, just as he couched in terms of what it is, a war of defense against an invasion by the alien anti-democracy forces Trump represents and leads, President Biden did not try to pretend this was not a campaign speech. Quite the opposite. The choice is clear. Donald Trump's campaign is about him, not America, not you. Donald Trump's campaign is obsessed with the past, not the future. He's willing to sacrifice our democracy, put himself in power. Our campaign is different. For me and Kamala, our campaign is about America. It's about you. It's about every age and background that occupy this country. It's about the future we're gonna to continue to build together. And our campaign is about preserving and strengthening our American democracy. As I have gathered my thoughts about this speech, I have kept starting to write, but the best part was, well, maybe this was the best part. 
because it wasn't just one part of the speech. It was textured throughout the entire address, just as Joe Biden textured the same thing throughout his speech at Independence Hall in September of 2022. He did not do what he did in a lot of his earliest speeches, avoid confronting Trump directly and by name and by crime. Trump won't do what an American president must do. He refuses to denounce political violence. So hear me clearly. I'll say what Donald Trump won't. Political violence is never, ever acceptable in the United States political system. Never, never, never. It has no place in a democracy, none. It can't be pro-insurrectionist and pro-American. Exactly. Exactly. The best part of the speech, sorry, the most useful part of this speech is that almost any of its elements, any of its dozen, two dozen components could be extracted and expanded upon and turned into its own 20-minute address. Because this was not just a speech, this was a schedule. It was a calendar of what Joe Biden intends to hit Donald Trump with every day for the next 10 months until Election Day. And one of the underrated elements, not just of the speech, but of the dizzying, nauseating maelstrom of this most corrupt era of American politics in all of our history is gaslighting. It is the number of Republican leaders and their prostitutes at Fox News and Republican propaganda who decided that since the coup didn't work and the mob didn't kill them, they could demean themselves to retain power by slowly and almost imperceptibly backing away from what they said that day. What they said when the horror of Trump's terrorist attack of January 6th was fresh and vivid, and even they called it what it was. And at Valley Forge, Biden reminded us that in his campaign, he will remind them. When the attack on January 6th happened, there was no doubt about the truth. At the time, even Republican members of Congress and Fox News commentators publicly and privately condemned the attack. As one Republican senator said, Trump's behavior was embarrassing and humiliating for the country. But now that same senator and those same people have changed their tune. As time has gone on, gone on, politics, fear, money, all have intervened. And now these MAGA voices who know the truth about Trump on January 6th have abandoned the truth and abandoned the democracy. They made their choice. Now the rest of us, Democrats, independents, mainstream Republicans, we have to make our choice. I know mine. And I believe I know America's. We'll defend the truth, not give in to the big lie. We'll embrace the Constitution and the Declaration, not abandon it. We'll honor the sacred cause of democracy, not walk away from it. There is one other element that I hope the president hits every time he opens his mouth between now and November 5th. It is a point I hammer here daily. Again, I am confident his use of it is coincidental. The field of this war against Trump and dictatorship. And now Biden has made me think of Teddy Roosevelt and we are met at Armageddon and we battle for the Lord. The field is littered with weapons to use against Trump. And the weapons 
were left there by Trump himself. They are his own indefensible, irrational, un-American, subhuman words. He calls those who oppose him vermin. He talks about the blood of America as being poisoned, echoing the same exact language used in Nazi Germany. He proudly posts on social media the words that best describe his 2024 campaign, quote, revenge, quote, power, and quote, dictatorship. There's no confusion about who Trump is, what he intends to do. And my final highlight, some pure red meat, some pure joy for those of us who, you know, prefer democracy to dictatorship. President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. called Trump the worst thing anyone can ever call Trump. It is something Joe Biden should call him every day. It is something you and I should call him every day. It is something that burns into him and through him like a thousand atomic bombs. It is the L word. The legal path just took Trump back to the truth that I had won the election and he was a loser. Well, loser. Nothing enrages Trump more than being called loser. As I said, the full Biden speech follows the upcoming break. And after that, while we are here, I have an update on this war at ESPN and how the sleeveless vagrant guy they hired for $85 million just gave them a means to fire him for cause and pay him nothing. But before we leave the subject of the Biden speech at Valley Forge, let me provide you with just a little context and contrast and explanation. First, what was Trump doing during all this? Watching a short speech and taking notes so he could say terrible things? No, that would involve working hard. He was in Iowa talking about immigrants and saying something startling even for him about how they don't speak our language. I believe now that that's why they're letting, allowing these people to come in. People that don't speak our language, they're signing them up to vote. And I believe that's why you're having millions of people pour into our country and it could very well affect the next election, and I believe that's why they're doing it. Soon, all there will be in Donald Trump is the hatred. All he will be able to say is the hatred. And all those who support him will be able to do is pretend that they are not also guilty of the hatred when it is time to prosecute them all. Earlier, Trump was posting a video that has been around for a while in various forms, that, as if you did not already get the point, underscores that he is Dementia J. Trump, but he is rapidly moving towards deification J. Trump. This went up on his social media site as Joe Biden prepared to eviscerate him at Valley Forge. There is an amazing backstory to this that I discovered very few people know, so I will tell it. It is farcical. It makes this ultimate delusion of grandeur, this Trumpian belief or story that he was sent here by God even stupider than it is at face value. This amazing backstory in a moment. First, 
the audio track. And on June 14th, 1946, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God gave us Trump. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, fix this country, work all day, fight the Marxists, eat supper, then go to the Oval Office and stay past midnight at a meeting of the heads of state. So God made Trump. I need somebody with arms, strong enough to rustle the deep state, and yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. Somebody to ruffle the feathers. Tame I should have warned you to sit down first, shouldn't I? If you have stopped seizing up with laughter, or horror, or both, that is a parody. Right down to the impersonation of the voice of the narrator of what I will next play you. It was a speech that the ABC radio news commentator Paul Harvey gave in November of 1978 to the Future Farmers of America. It is called So God Made a Farmer. And if it's beginning to ring a bell, it is because part of this was rebroadcast in 2013. Here is the original basis of So God Made Trump. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. I need somebody with arms strong enough to wrestle a calf and yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. Somebody to call hogs, tame cantankerous machinery, come home hungry, have to wait lunch until his wife's done feeding visiting ladies. I think we can agree that of all the things Trump isn't, the one thing he most isn't is a farmer. And the reason that the Paul Harvey original may sound familiar to you, is that during the 2013 Super Bowl broadcast, part of that address by my old boss, the guy for whom I was the official fill-in at ABC Radio for two years, Paul Harvey, so God made a farmer, that was repurposed in 2013 as part of a Super Bowl commercial for a Ram truck. Trump's announcement that God made him, juxtaposed against the greatest speech Joe Biden has ever given, has yet given, that Trump thing is stolen down to the guy doing the bad voice impersonation, stolen from a cheap Super Bowl truck ad, which is itself stolen from Paul Harvey's cornball talk to a bunch of high school kids in Kansas City more than 45 years ago. If this day was not Trump's imbecility in a nutshell, I don't know what could be. The bizarre twist to the ESPN saga of Pat McAfee, Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Kimmel, and now... My old boss, Norby Williamson, coming up first. After this break, the entirety of Joe Biden's speech. That's next. This is Countdown. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, as promised, the entirety of President Biden's speech at Valley Forge Friday afternoon, in which he cut Donald Trump into little bite-sized pieces, a lot of pieces, but still bite-sized. Afterwards, a break, then the update on the Aaron Rodgers-Jimmy Kimmel mess at ESPN and Disney. I have cut out the preamble from the president's speech. Both the introduction and the chant of four more years, which the president himself seemed both grateful for and in a hurry to get beyond. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States. The topic of my speech today is deadly serious. And uh, I think it needs to be made at the outset of this campaign. In the winter of 1777, it was harsh and cold as the Continental Army March to Valley Forge. General George Washington knew he faced the most daunting of tasks, to fight and win a war against the most powerful empire existent in the world at the time. His mission was clear. Liberty, not conquest. Freedom, not domination. National independence, not individual glory. America made a vow. Never again would we bow down to a king. Months ahead would be incredibly difficult. But General Washington knew something in his bones, something about the spirit of the troops he was leading, 
something, something about the soul of the nation. He was struggling to be born. In his general order, he predicted, and I quote, with one heart and one mind, with fortitude and with patience, they would overcome every difficulty, the troops he was leading. And they did. They did. This army that lacked blankets and food, clothes and shoes, this army whose march left bloody bare footprints in the snow, this ragtag army made up of ordinary people, their mission, George Washington declared, was nothing less than a sacred cause. That was the phrase he used, a sacred cause. Freedom, liberty, democracy, American democracy. I just visited the grounds of Valley Forge. I've been there a number of times since the time I was a Boy Scout years ago. You know, it's the very site that I think every American should visit because it tells a story of the pain and the suffering and the true patriotism it took to make America. Today, we gather in a new year, some 246 years later, just one day before January 6th. A day forever shared in our memory because it was on that day that we nearly lost America, lost it all. Today, we're here to answer the most important of questions. Is democracy still America's sacred cause? I mean it. This is not rhetorical, academic, or hypothetical. Whether democracy is still America's sacred cause is the most urgent question of our time. And it's what the 2024 election is all about. The choice is clear. Donald Trump's campaign is about him, not America, not you. Donald Trump's campaign is obsessed with the past, not the future. He's willing to sacrifice our democracy, put himself in power. Our campaign is different. For me and Kamala, our campaign is about America. It's about you. It's about every age and background that occupy this country. It's about the future we're going to continue to build together. And our campaign is about preserving and strengthening our American democracy. Three years ago tomorrow, we saw with our own eyes the violent mob storm the United States Capitol. It was almost in disbelief as you first turned on the television. For the first time in our history, insurrectionists had come to stop the peaceful transfer, transfer of power in America. First time, smashing windows, shattering doors, attacking the police. Outside, gallows were erected as the MAGA crowd chanted, hang Mike Pence. Inside, they hunted for Speaker Pelosi. The House was chanting, as they marched through and smashed windows, where's Nancy? Over 140 police officers were injured. Jill and I attended the funeral of police officers who died as a result of the events of that day. Because, Donald, because of Donald Trump's lies, they died because these lies brought a mob to Washington. He promised it would be wild, and it was. He told the crowd to fight like hell and all hell was unleashed. He promised he would write them, write them, everything they did. He would be side by side with them. Then, as usual, 
He left the dirty work to others. He retreated to the White House. As America was attacked from within, Donald Trump watched on TV in the private small dining room off, my oval, oval, off the Oval Office. The entire nation watched in horror. The whole world watched in disbelief. And Trump did nothing. Members of his staff, members of his family, Republican leaders who were under attack at that very moment, pled with him, act, call off the mob. Imagine had he gone out and said, stop. And still, Trump did nothing. It was among the worst derelictions of duty by a president in American history. An attempt to overturn a free and fair election by force and violence. A record 81 million people voted for my candidacy and to end his presidency. Trump lost the popular vote by 7 million. Trump's claims about the 2020 election never could stand up in court. Trump lost 60 court cases, 60. Trump lost the Republican-controlled states. Trump lost before a Trump-appointed judge, and then judges. And Trump lost before the United States Supreme Court. All of it, he lost. Trump lost recount after recount after recount and state after state. But in desperation and weakness, Trump and his MAGA followers went after election officials who who ensured your power as a citizen would be heard. These public service had their lives forever upended by attacks and death threats for simply doing their jobs. In Atlanta, Georgia, a brave black mother and her daughter, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, were doing their jobs electing workers until Donald Trump and his MAGA followers targeted and threatened them, forcing them from their homes and unleashing racist vitriol on them. Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, was just hit with a $148 million judgment for cruelty and defamation that he inflicted against them. Other state and local elected officials across the country faced similar personal attacks. In addition, Fox News agreed to pay a record $787 million for the lies they told about voter fraud. Let's be clear about the 2020 election. Trump exhausted every legal avenue available to him to overturn the election. Every one. But the legal path just took Trump back to the truth. That I had won the election and he was a loser. Well, so knowing how his mind works now, he had one he had one act left, one desperate act available to him. The violence of January the sixth. Since that day, more than 1,200 people have been charged for their assault on the Capitol. Nearly 900 of them have been convicted or pled guilty. Collectively, to date, they have been sentenced to more than 840 years in prison. And what's Trump done? Instead of calling them criminals, 
He's called these, these insurrectionists patriots. They're patriots. And he promised to pardon them if he returns to office. Trump said that there was a lot of love on January the 6th. The rest of the nation, including law enforcement, saw a lot of hate and violence. One Capitol Police officer called it a medieval battle. That same officer called vile rape, was called vile racist names. He said he was more afraid in the capital of the United States of America, in the chambers, than when he was fighting as a soldier in the war in Iraq. He said he was more afraid inside the halls of Congress than fighting in the war in Iraq. In trying to rewrite the facts of January 6th, Trump is trying to steal history the same way he tried to steal the election. But he, we knew the truth because we saw it with our own eyes. This wasn't like something, a story being told. It was on television repeatedly. We saw it with our own eyes. Trump's mob wasn't a peaceful protest. It was a violent assault. They were insurrectionists, not patriots. They weren't there to uphold the Constitution. They were there to destroy the Constitution. Trump won't do what an American president must do. He refuses to denounce political violence. So hear me clearly. I'll say what Donald Trump won't. Political violence is never, ever acceptable in the United States political system. Never, never, never. It has no place in a democracy, none. You can't be pro-insurrectionist and pro-American. And yet Trump and his MAGA supporters not only embrace political violence, but they laugh about it. At his rally, he jokes about an intruder whipped up by the big Trump lie, taking a hammer to Paul Pelosi's skull and echoing the very same words used on January 6th. Where's Nancy? And he thinks that's funny. He laughed about it. What a sick... I think it's despicable, seriously. I just repressive for any person to say that. But to say it to the whole world listening, when I was overseas, anyway. Oh, yeah. Trump's assault on democracy isn't just part of his past. It's what he's promising for the future. He's being straightforward. He's not hiding the ball. His first rally for the 2024 campaign opened with a choir of January 6th insurrectionists singing from prison on a cell phone, while images of the January 6th riot played on a big screen behind him at his rally. Can you believe that? This is like something out of a fairy tale, a bad fairy tale. Trump began his 2024 campaign by glorifying the failed violent insurrectionist insurrection at our, on our Capitol. The guy who claims law and order sows lawlessness and disorder. Trump's not concerned about your future, I promise you. Trump is now promising a full-scale campaign of revenge and retribution, his words, for some years to come. They were his words, not mine. He went on to say he'd be a dictator on day one. 
I mean, if I were writing a book of fiction, I said an American president said that. And not in jest. He called in, I quote, the termination, quote, this is a quote, the termination of all the rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the U.S. Constitution, should be terminated if fits his will. It's really kind of hard to believe. Even found in the Constitution, he could terminate? He's threatened the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff with the death penalty. Says he should be put to death because the chairman put his oath to the Constitution ahead of his personal loyalty to Trump. This coming from a president who called when he visited cemeteries, called dead soldiers suckers and losers. Remember that? Sometimes I'm really happy the Irish of me can't be seen. <laughs> it was right around the time I was at Bo's grave, Tommy. How dare he? Who in God's name does he think he is? With former aides, Trump plans to invoke the Insurrections Act, Insurrection Act which will allow him to deploy, which is not allowed to do in ordinary circumstances, allow him to deploy U.S. military forces on the streets of America. He said it. He calls those who oppose him vermin. He talks about the blood of America as being poisoned, echoing the same exact language used in Nazi Germany. He proudly posts on social media the words that best describe his 2024 campaign, quote, revenge, quote, power, and quote, dictatorship. There's no confusion about who Trump is, what he intends to do. I placed my hand on our family Bible, and I swore an oath on the very same steps of the Capitol just 14 days after the attack on January the 6th. As I looked out over the capital city, whose streets were lined with National Guard to prevent another attack, I saw an American that had been pushed to the brink, America that had been pushed to the brink. But I felt enormous pride, not in winning, I felt enormous pride in America, because American democracy had been tested American democracy had held together. And when Trump had seen weakness in our democracy and continued to talk about it, I saw strength, your strength. It's not hyperbole, your strength, your integrity, American strength and integrity. Ordinary citizens, state election officials, the American judicial system had put the Constitution first and sometimes at their peril at their peril. Because of them, because of you, the will of the people prevailed. Not the anger of the mob or the appetites of one man. When the attack on January 6th happened, 
There was no doubt about the truth. At the time, even Republican members of Congress and Fox News commentators publicly and privately condemned the attack. As one Republican senator said, Trump's behavior was embarrassing and humiliating for the country. But now that same senator and those same people have changed their tune. As time has gone on, gone on, politics, fear, money, all have intervened. And now these MAGA voices who know the truth about Trump on January 6th have abandoned the truth and abandoned the democracy. They made their choice. Now the rest of us, Democrats, independents, mainstream Republicans, we have to make our choice. I know mine, and I believe I know America's. We'll defend the truth, not give in to the big lie. We'll embrace the Constitution and the Declaration, not abandon it. We'll honor the sacred cause of democracy, not walk away from it. Today, I make this sacred pledge to you. The defense, protection, and preservation of American democracy will remain as it has been the central cause of my presidency. America, as we begin this election year, we must be clear, democracy is on the ballot. Your freedom is on the ballot. <laughs> yes, we'll be voting on many issues. On the freedom to vote and have your vote counted. On the freedom of choice. The freedom to have a fair shot. The freedom from fear. <laughs> and we'll debate and disagree. Without democracy, no progress is possible. Think about it. The alternative to democracy is dictatorship. The rule of one, not the rule of the we, the people. That's what the soldiers of Valley Forge understood. And so was me. We have to understand it as well. We've been blessed so long with a strong, stable democracy. It's easy to forget why so many before us risked their lives and strengthened democracy. What our lives would be without it. Democracy means having the freedom to speak your mind, to be who you are, to be who you want to be. Democracy is about being able to bring about peaceful change. Democracy. Democracy is how we've opened the doors of opportunity wider and wider with each successive generation, not with, notwithstanding our mistakes. But if democracy falls, we'll lose that freedom. We'll lose the power of we, the people, to shape our destiny. If you doubt me, look around the world. Travel with me as I meet with other heads of state throughout the world. Look at the authoritarian leaders and dictators Trump says he admires. He out loud says he admires. I won't go through them all. It'll take too long. Look, remember how he refers, where he refers to what he calls love letter exchanges between he and the dictator of North Korea? Those women and men out there in the audience ever fought for the American military? Would you ever believe you'd hear a president say something like that? 
his admiration for Putin. I could go on. And look at what these autocrats are doing to limit freedom in their countries. They're limiting freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom to assemble, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, people are going to jail, so much more. It's true, the push and pull of American history is not a fairy tale. Every stride forward in America is met with ferocious backlash many times from those who fear progress and those who exploit that fear for their own personal gain. From those who traffic in lies, toll for power and profit. For those who are driven by grievance and grift, consumed by conspiracy and victimhood. From those who seek to bury history and ban books. Everything could be in a political event, talking about book banning for presidential and the presidential election. The choice and contest between those forces, those competing forces, between solidarity and division is perennial. But this time it's so different. You can't have a contest. You can't have a contest if you see politics as an all-out war instead of a peaceful way to resolve our differences. All-out war is what Trump wants. That's why he doesn't understand the most fundamental truth about this country. Unlike other nations on Earth, America is not built on ethnicity, religion, geography. We're the only nation in the history of the world built on an idea. Not hyperbole, built on an idea. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal. It's an idea declared in the Declaration, created in a way that we've viewed everybody as equal and be, should be treated equal throughout their lives. We've never fully lived up to that. We have a long way to go. But we've never walked away from the idea. We've never walked away from it before. And I promise you, I will not let Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans force us to walk away now. We're living in an era where a determined minority is doing everything in its power to try to destroy our democracy for their own agenda. The American people know it. And they're standing bravely in the breach. Remember after 2020, January 6th insurrection to undo the election in which more Americans had voted than any other in American history? America saw the threat posed to the country. And they voted them out. In 2022, historic midterm election. In state after state, election after election, the election deniers were defeated. Now in 2024, Trump is running as the denier-in-chief. The election denier-in-chief. Once again, he's saying he won't honor the results of the election if he loses. Trump says he doesn't understand. Well, he still doesn't understand the basic truth. That is, you can't love your country only when you win. You can't love your country only when you win. So I'll keep my commitment to be president for all of America, whether you voted for me or not. I've done it for the last three years, and I'll continue to do it. Together, we can keep proving that America is still a country 
that believes in decency, dignity, honesty, honor, truth. We still believe that no one, not even the president, is above the law. We still believe. The vast majority of us still believe that everyone deserves a fair shot at making it. We're still a nation that gives hate no safe harbor. I tell you from my experience working with leaders around the world, and I mean this sincerely, not a joke, that America is still viewed as the beacon of democracy for the world. I can't tell you how many, how many world leaders, and I know all of them, virtually all of them, grab my arm in private and say, he can't win. Tell me. No, my country will be at risk. Think of how many countries, Tommy, you know that are on the, burn, on the edge. Imagine. We still believe in we the people. And that includes all of us, not some of us. Let me close with this. In the coal winter of 1777, George Washington and his American troops of Valley Forge waged the battle on behalf of a revolutionary idea. That everyday people, like where I come from and the vast majority of you, not a king or a dictator, that everyday people can govern themselves without a king or a dictator. In fact, in the rotunda of the Capitol, there's a giant painting of General George Washington, not President Washington. And he is resigning his commission as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. A European king at the, at the time said, after he won the revolution, now's the time for him to declare his kingship. But instead, the mob that attacked the Capitol, waving Trump flags and Confederate flags, stormed right past that portrait. The image of George Washington gave them no pause, but it should have. The artist who painted that portrait memorialize that moment because he said it was, quote, one of the highest moral lessons ever given to the world. End of quote. George Washington was the height of his power, having just defeated the most powerful empire on earth. He could have held on to power as long as he wanted. He could have made himself not a future president, but a future monarch, in effect. And by the way, when he got elected president, he could have stayed for two, three, four, five terms till he died. But that wasn't the America he and the American troops of Valley Forge had fought for. In America, genuine leaders, democratic leaders with a small d, don't hold on to power relentlessly. Our leaders return power to the people, and they do it willingly, because that's the deal. You do your duty. You serve your country. And ours is a country worthy of service, as many Republican presidents and Democratic presidents have shown over the years. We're not perfect. But at our best, we face, on, we face head on the good, the bad, the truth of who we are. We look in the mirror and ultimately never pretend we're something we're not. That's what great nations do. 
And we're a great nation. We're the greatest nation on the face of the earth. We really are. That's the America I see in our future. We get up. We carry on. We never bow. We never bend. We speak of possibilities, not carnage. We're not weighed down by grievances. We don't foster fear. We don't walk around as victims. We take charge of our destiny. We get our job done with with the help of the people we find in America who find their place in the changing world and dream and build a future that not only they, but all people deserve a shot at. We don't believe, none of you believe America's failing. We know America's winning. That's American patriotism. It's not winning because of Joe Biden. It's winning. This is the first national election since January 6th. Insurrection placed a dagger at the throat of American democracy since that moment. We all know who Donald Trump is. The question we have to answer is, who are we? That's what's at stake. Who are we? In the year ahead, as you talk to your family and friends, cast your ballots, the power is in your hands. After all we've been through in our history, from independence to civil war, to two world wars, to a pandemic, to insurrection, I refuse to believe that in 2024, we Americans will choose to walk away from what's made us the greatest nation in the history of the world. Freedom, liberty, democracy is still a sacred cause. And there's no country in the world better positioned to lead the world than America. That's why I've said it many times. That's why I've never been more optimistic about our future. And I've been doing this a hell of a long time. Just to remember who we are with patience and fortitude, with one heart. We are the United States of America, for God's sake. I mean it. There is nothing. I believe in every fiber, there's nothing beyond our capacity if we act together and decently with one another. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I mean it. We're the only nation in the world that's come out of every crisis stronger than we went into that crisis. <clears throat> that was true yesterday. It is true today. And I guarantee you, it will be true tomorrow. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last week, while we are here on a bulletin basis, developments in that sports story I mentioned during the week in which Aaron Rodgers, once the popular quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, and more recently a man who has talked his way out of the most loyal to its players community in all of sports, and who lied to the National Football League and its fans about whether or not he got vaccinated, and who admitted to using a tea laced with a profound hallucinogenic drug, and who has gradually revealed himself as a seriously stupid sucker for whichever conspiracy theory is coming down the pike next. Rogers crossed a line this week past on the Pat McAfee Show, a new program for which ESPN just paid its namesake host $85 million to run on its platforms. Aaron Rodgers implied that when the Jeffrey Epstein lists were published, Jimmy Kimmel of ABC would be mentioned. Rogers said that when that happened, he would pop open a bottle of something. He did not rule out hallucinogenic tea. Kimmel, who, like McAfee and like Rogers, who is under contract to McAfee to appear on his shows, they are all employed by the same company, Disney. And within hours of the Aaron Rodgers statement, Jimmy Kimmel tweeted that if Rodgers did not stop this, he would sue Rodgers for defamation. The next day, McAfee pleaded ignorance. It did not take much effort. He's pretty ignorant. McAfee said he believed there was no cause for any problem here because Rogers was just, quote, talking shit, unquote. In fact, lawyers say that's not really a defense that many courts will accept in a defamation suit. A defamation suit by one Disney employee against two other Disney employees, McAfee and Rogers. Rogers has not again appeared on that show, nor did McAfee issue any kind of retraction. 
What McAfee did do Friday, though, was to declare war on ESPN. He accused executives of the company of leaking inaccurate ratings about his program. Since there had not been any recent articles about those ratings, and since, in fact, ESPN PR put out a tweet Friday afternoon celebrating the, quote, 298 million views across all ESPN platforms in December for McAfee's show, McAfee's claim seems at best paranoid. Actually, what it is, professionally, is suicidal. Because McAfee named names, and he named the one ESPN executive who has outlasted everybody who has ever worked there, including me, including me the second time, including me the third time when he personally got me rehired, including me as he supervised the unlikeliest of ultimate outcomes to my ESPN career in which of all people who ever worked there, I wound up retiring from ESPN. I got everything but the gold watch. The executive's name is Norby Williamson. This is from the Pat McAfee Show. There are some people actively trying to sabotage us from within ESPN. More specifically, I believe Norby Williamson is the guy who is attempting to sabotage our program. I'm not 100% sure. That is just seemingly the only human that has information. And then somehow that information gets leaked and it's wrong. And then it sets a narrative of what our show is. And then are we just going to combat that from a rat every single time? I don't know. But like somebody tried to get ahead of our actual ratings release with wrong numbers 12 hours beforehand. That's a sabotage attempt. And it's been happening basically this entire season from some people who didn't necessarily love the old edition of the Pat McAfee show to the ESPN family. Sure. There's a lot of those. We've heard them anonymously quoted in the Washington Post, mm-hmm. in the New York Post, right. in the New York Times, right. in the L.A. Times, right. in Wall Street Journal. Right. And they're never like, yeah, love the show. This is awesome. It's always like little things to try to tear us down. So even with the enemy within our own camp, somebody that we don't, I don't like that guy. I, that guy left me in his office for 45 minutes, no-showed me in 2018. So this guy has had zero respect for me. And in return, same thing back to him. I have known Norby Williamson since January 1992. He was the original line producer of the 11 p.m. edition of SportsCenter, the one Dan Patrick and I co-hosted. You may have heard about it. Norby was the original line producer of the ESPN2 Sports Night disaster, which I hosted. You may have also heard about that. He was the head of ESPN talent when I quit as an ESPN talent. He was the linchpin in discussions to get me back to ESPN in 2002, 2005, 2007, 2012, and finally when it actually happened in 2013. And he personally brought me back again in 2018, personally, during a time of chaos at the company. I do not know how many arguments Norby Williamson and I have had over the decades, but the number may be in the thousands. The number of meals we have shared together is two. Sometimes those arguments came with laughter. Sometimes those arguments came with screaming and bright red faces and balled up fists. And yet we still text once a week or so, usually about the New York Mets. And this is the sum of all of the things I have learned about Norby Williamson, all of the knowledge I have gained about him in exactly 32 years. Here it comes, 
Norby Williamson always survives. The others, they perish. He does not perish. Also, something I have learned since the day I brought into broadcasting in the first place, management protects management. Pat McAfee, who is a shirtless hobo, went on the air Friday and gave ESPN all it legally needs to fire him for cause and owe him out of his $85 million deal exactly nothing. Or it could take him off the air, pay him the $85 million, and prevent him from doing any show anywhere for roughly the next four and a half years. That's impossible, you say, and I have two words to answer that. Tucker Carlson. ESPN also Friday issued an apology to and about Jimmy Kimmel. It was, quote, a dumb and factually inaccurate joke, said another vice president named Mike Foss, who I do not know. It should never have happened. We all realize that in the moment. Well, if that's true, it's funny that it took McAfee's friends four days to even offer an apology for something they realized in the moment, let alone a retraction, a retraction it still has not made. All McAfee's people have done is given ESPN an axe with which to, at minimum, make sure Aaron Rodgers never appears on that show again, and more likely to end McAfee's tenure there outright. To paraphrase the great Burt Lancaster, Tony Curtis film, The Sweet Smell of Success, which is also about media bullies, your career's dead, son. Get yourself buried. That's the special bulletin edition of Countdown. I'll be back Tuesday as planned. Barring more all-time great speeches by the president or something else from this guy, McAfee. Hello, I'm Norby Williamson. Welcome to the Norby Williamson Show, replacing the Pat McAfee Show. I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tail. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.